Hello and welcome to the 200th episode of Effect Coriolis on Trial. I'm Dave. And I'm Matthew. And we've only got one thing. No, we've only got a little bit for you in this episode, but it's a biggie. Uh, <laughs> after we have said a special thank you to a certain number of you who are our fans, and we're not talking about patrons this episode uh we've got some world of gaming news uh we're going to talk about zine quest we've got a couple of um zines from zine quest we want to talk about dave you've got some world of gaming news as well but i won't spoil it for you because i spoiled it a fortnight ago yeah i think i think it's quite old news now isn't it but you know <laughs> worth it we might be getting some new listeners and we might be getting some new listeners because people are really interested in coriolis and this episode we are putting Coriolis on, on trial. trial. Indeed, indeed, you are you are the uh, counsel for the prosecution. I am the counsel for the defence. And um, yeah, and I think your defence is very wobbly, mate. <laughs> well, I think your prosecution is a bit thin, frankly. So you know, we'll have, to <laughs> le- we'll have to leave it to the jury to decide, won't we? And it's a jury of we will, we will, everybody who's out there listening. So it's uh, yes. <laughs> but uh, I think we should start with the thank yous because we are the fifth favourite <laughs> podcast. I should say the fifth favourite TTRPG podcast. No, actually, the fifth favourite <laughs> TTRPG talk podcast in the world. I'm glad you got there in the end, mate. <laughs> Watering down our our our. Uh, our our triumph every time you mentioned it, but now that's fabulous. I mean, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, who 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 knew that so many people would want to listen to us going on like we do? Um, I think they just like it because 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 of the insults I throw at you. I think that's well, that's what it is. We could just have a podcast where I just slag you off for an hour, and that would probably do even better than this one. I reckon. What? Because in this one, I get to slag you off too. You mean? Well, maybe, but I think people people you know enjoy it more when I slag you I off. I think I'm sure. we could put this to the popular vote and <laughs> work out whose insults are are, are the most cutting, True. or the most entertaining. True. Um, but then you know, uh, I am I am just a you know a free league fanboy who guffaws all the time. So you know, maybe 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 in the court of public oh, opinion, that's... I might lose that one. That's still sore for you, isn't it? It's <laughs> sore. It's a sucking chest wound, mate. That's what it is. It's a sucking <laughs> You know it's chest our wound. trailer now. I know it is. I know. I haven't listened to it, but I've seen people's uh, comment about it. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> that is... it, it's fine. It's fine. I've edited it a little bit, but uh, I think it works really well because actually you put up a, a spirited defence of the accusations and I think, <laughs> you know... It, it does actually explain what we do from a totally neutral or indeed aggressive viewpoint. I reckon <laughs> we'll we'll get a few listeners out of it. You never uh, know. We'll you see. never know. Indeed. Uh, so, yeah, y- thank you to everybody yes. who voted on the N-World poll. And if you didn't, you should take a long, hard look at yourself <laughs> and ask yourself why. And next year, when we're nominated for favourite TTRPG podcast, 
on a talk podcast on on N World. Next year, you should vote too, alongside everybody else who's so enlightened and now receiving our thanks. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. We it were beaten a- just just by the way, we uh, Kel and Robin talk about stuff, which is probably my favourite podcast. Yeah. They only came fourth, so we're only just beaten by them. I mean we're in stellar company. You know, this is uh uh, this, is, this is quite actually this is very apt and the timing is very good seeing this is you know, our 200th celebratory episode we are going back to the core of where we started by talking about nothing but Coriolis other than a bit of other world of gaming and stuff um, and obviously being very self-congratulatory and patting ourselves on the back here uh, it's two yeah 200 200 episodes and uh, you know what a long journey it's been to get here and to have so many people uh, you know, care enough um, about us to actually make the effort to vote is um, is fabulous. I mean, yeah, I mean, such a huge thank you to everybody who uh, who did vote. And and you know, as Matt says, <clears throat> if you didn't vote next year, you can uh, you can redeem yourself by voting for us next year. So yeah, it's a, it's kind of staggering considering okay. that first ever episode we did <laughs> and how. How yeah, we, were we weren't sure that anybody would listen to us. And then we thought all. maybe, you know, it would be like five or six people. Um, and we were learning the ropes. So, you know, we were pretty shaky that first episode, I think. I uh, think that first episode stands up pretty well. I remember, I mean, podcasting veteran. Well, I think had the done... fifth episode is, is where we were learning the ropes and we learned don't eat Pringles while you're doing an actual play. <laughs> um, <clears throat> that, that, that was a real big learning experience for me. And that was obviously um, something we couldn't learn just by thinking about it. You know, we had to experience that. You know, it's such a yeah, yeah. No, we you know. we had to do the scientific test. <laughs> uh, how far away from the microphone do you have to be to eat Pringles? And the answer is About in the 30, next house, thirty feet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this um, is just don't do it. Yeah, but it, we're in danger of turning this into a clips episode if we uh, if we carry on talking about the past too much longer. Uh-huh. Uh, should we look to the future we and to the world of gaming? Yeah, yeah, indeed. Go ahead. Okay, and so uh, I guess the first item in the world of gaming is ZineQuest. ZineQuest has started. It, it ZineQuest is ZineQuest is part of the Zine Month. Zine Month is February, uh, and so ZineQuest has started. But I think we're going to see a lot of zines dropping on Kickstarter on tuesday yeah Um, and particularly we have a couple one from uh our friend craig which i'll get you to talk about in a bit but first of all we we've got one that from rpg stories Mm. and rpg stories got in touch with us uh and anybody can get in touch with us if they want us to show them when we we don't even ask for money Um, (laughs) that's where we're going wrong obviously it's just great to have content to put in the world of gaming. So RPG Stories, you may not have heard of. Um, we'll put a link to their website in um, in the show in, notes. In the show notes, and they are a Greek company, um, and they are actually that their their main job is putting together a, a VVT. No, VTT. No, not VVT. VTT. That's variable valve timing on an old. Um, <laughs> 
on an old K-Series engine. Now, what I meant was... Uh, and that's more information VTT. than we needed. Thank you, yes. VTT. A virtual tabletop. <laughs> yeah, but there's a little hint there. You know, you've learned something now, haven't you, Dave? <laughs> well, I, I did, but it went in one ear and out the other, so I've forgotten what it was already. <laughs> something about valves. But, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> uh, uh, anyway, yes, a virtual tabletop is what they're making, um, but they've just taken a little bit of time out to... Uh, put some adventures out there in the most opposite format from a virtual tabletop that you can possibly think of, which <laughs> is a zine. And um, they've got uh, a zine coming out called Treasure Hunting, and it's going to feature three quests that you can use for your fantasy world with a medieval twist setting. So I guess we're looking at D&D, or indeed many other fantasy worlds. Yeah, it looks like um, it's going to be system agnostic. So, uh, you know, it's, um, you know, if you're, you know, regardless of what system you're using, it, it may well be something that you want to take a look at. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it uh, and the, the adventures are set in uh, the RPG Stories team's own homebrewed world called Moonstone, but I'm sure, obviously... They are transferable to your homebrew world, or even, I guess, uh, Day of the Forbidden Lands, if we wanted to invest in this one. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and they are, the campaign is this month, obviously, but they're hoping to uh, finish editing and uh, illustration in March and be sending it out in April. Cool. And that's about as much as I've got to say about <laughs> RPG Stories Treasure Hunting Zine. Yeah, so, so what else have we got to talk about under the zine quest? Well, the main thing, uh, or the key thing, is uh, our friend, uh, friend of the show, patron Cr uh, Craig, uh, known as Hoodoo, Hoodoo on, on, on the socials. Or Hoodoo Voodoo in some places. Hoodoo, Hoodoo Voodoo, isn't it, actually? Yeah. Um, he's doing another, uh, uh, another zine this year. It's called Hopes and Dreams of the Orbital Bound. And it, I, had the, I had the pleasure of... of uh, playtesting it a couple of weeks ago with with our again our friend Mohammed and we had a great time. It's uh it's it's kind of still in um like like uh, beta. Yeah, so he's still refining um some of the points to it. But but basically in the game you play it's a it's a very narrative driven game and you play um well you start by playing a character who lives in a, a large alien um orbital uh, habitat and there's loads of these around in 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 the system of Tal Tal Setai, I think it's set, it's set and uh, this moves on from signal to noise so it's a it's a kind of a linked part of the story so it, it takes that story forward um, these are alien habitats but there's no signs of whoever created them and you and lots of other people live there and your life is is a bit mundane and boring on those stations but we're now exploring kind of the 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 exciting side what are your hopes and dreams what are you trying to trying to achieve and you you run it through a series of narrative scenes you can change character as you go through so you build up a pool of characters uh, as you play through the story and if you wanted to create a new one or you wanted to uh, you had a great idea for a scene that involved a different character you can then uh, kind of put your character back into the pool and bring out another one to uh, to continue that story and me and Mohammed had a great time. It was really good fun. We were both playing um, uh, sort of hydroponics experts. He was the uh, the the scientist who was had no friends and and 
other than me, I was playing uh, a bit of a pothead who uh, who was using the hydroponics to to grow his um, grow his stash to grow your own. Um, and was but then you know not for money. I was like liberally giving it out and actually having drugs wasn't a problem. Smoking on board the system, the uh, the habitat was an issue. Um, being a being a habitat and one of the crises we were dealing mm-hmm. with was a, was a oxygen shortage. Um, so we had a great time. It's really simple. You have three basic stats that you you roll against, uh, and you roll against all of them on when you do roll. And oh right. yeah, it's good. It's it's a lovely little system. I liked it very much. And um, yeah, I so say builds it builds nicely on from uh, from signal to noise and and expands that universe and that setting. So, yeah, if you're interested... So tell folks, me more about what you, what you say. I'm, I'm intrigued. You roll against all your stats um, with what sort of shaped dice? So you 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 have a, a target number. Um, I'm trying to find my mm-hmm. notes now. What did I do in my notes? Because I could tell you what the stats were, but I don't remember off the top of my head. Um, but yeah, the, your stats were... One of them was hope. One of them was... I don't remember exactly, but basically, yeah. So you have a standard D10 um, to roll yep. for each of those, and then you have a uh, a target number to beat. So you, it'll normally be like an uh, an opposed roll against either another character or the situation you're facing or the crisis. And depending on how bad mm-hmm. the crisis is, their target number will be higher or lower. Yeah. Um. You have uh, effectively conditions. Um, uh, a bit like a bit like in Fate, and you can apply those. Some of them would be negative, some of them would be positive. You can apply those, and you roll your three. You know, if if you have a positive um, condition, you can take one of those d10s down to a d8 because you're trying to roll low is your objective. If you have a negative condition, you take that d10 and turn it into a d12. So it obviously makes it harder. Mm. Um, so you roll all three of those. You see how many successes you get uh, against your target number, whatever that might. be you know, your stat target number, which for our starting characters was between three and seven. Seven was the maximum you could have. Three was the minimum. Um, obviously, if you had seven, your other stats would be very low. So yeah, that's the kind of thing you're talking about. And then you take your, your results and you match them against different stats. So if you had mm-hmm. four, four, five, and six as your stats and I rolled four, five, and a 10, that would be two right. successes because I could put the four against the four, the five against the five, 10 would obviously be a fail. Right. Um, and you then see how many successes you get compared to the character or the circumstance mm. you are rolling against. And then that that drives the narration of the outcome of that particular scene. Um, I see. It's good. It's nice. It, it was a nice little system. And you kind of go around the table. So it's kind of GM-less. Um, everyone gets a turn. So when it's my turn, I would set a scene for Mohammed, say... Or I would set a challenge for Mohammed's character, and then Mohammed would start narrating how that would play out. In that narration, there would be a conflict and a dice roll, and then we'd narrate together what the outcome of that was. And then we'd go around the table, and mm-hmm. then Mohammed would then do the same for me or Craig. So it's nice, and it's it, it took us a little while because this was the first playtest that we had. It took us a little while to get the hang of it, but towards the end of the session, we were whipping through these scenes really quickly. And it gained a real sense of momentum and drive, and it's yeah, it's a really mm. nice, it's a really nice little game. So I recommend it. And it's effectively it GM-less then. So every, uh, Craig wasn't there as a GM, but as another player, effectively. Exactly, but I mean, in that situation, obviously Craig was, um, you know, teaching us the system and telling us how how it yeah. works. But yeah, in the game itself, 
you don't need you don't need a GM. Brilliant. It's good. Yeah. Um, all, yeah. Um, you know, every luck to Craig on on his latest scene. You know, he's getting himself quite a nice little uh, you know selection of titles now. And um, I know that that at last Dragon Meet, he came down and, and had a stall and. You know, I think he felt he did pretty well. He was he was pretty satisfied. Yeah, no, his store was looking pretty good with all the various scenes that he's produced. It over was the years. it was excellent. Yeah, and we so, can speak to the quality of his scenes, having uh, bought them in the past. I'm indeed, yeah. With Signal to noise and um, uh, Project Cassandra. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, that was the one that was <laughs> escaping my recollection at the time. Yeah, and he's building up, isn't he? Um, with with Signal to noise and and this, he's building up a kind of a a whole sequence of different games with different mechanics, but all set in the same, um, in the or, same universe. More than the same universe, actually, going to and exploring the the the, the same um, um, environment in in Tau City. Uh, yeah, and I think he's got plans for for further zines in future, which then take the story mm. beyond uh, hopes and dreams of the Orbital Bound. Yeah, it's it's good. So my character's dream was to move to a different habitat that wasn't so horrible, that had big open right. sort of like transparent walls and big parks and feel the sun. Which you knew existed, or is that just one in no, your which, head? No, which, which I think we, we knew existed. They were there, but I had to get permission to uh, to transfer. And I, I remember, right. I can't remember why Mohammed, that was it. So I, because I was Mohammed's only friend on the base, I put mm-hmm. in, uh, I got into trouble with... Um, some of the local authorities. And so I, I kicked up a bit of a fuss and said, right, well, if you don't like me here, s- sign off my, my, um, my transfer request to the other hand. transfer request. So I made a really yeah. good role. Yes, they signed it off. Good to get, you know, pleased to get rid of a pothead uh, off, their, off their base. Only for Mohammed to get wind of this, his character, and then scupper it because he didn't, screw want, it up his, for you. didn't want his only friend to leave. Um, and I don't. I don't think at the point we stopped, I my character knew that, but I just know that my <laughs> my 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 application to transfer had been suddenly rescinded, even though it had been approved before. So it's good fun. It's really good fun. Yeah, really, really excellent. Good. That sounds yeah. uh, like fun. That sounds like fun. Um, I guess the other thing in the world of gaming. So ZineQuest. Look into ZineQuest. Uh, we we may um, point out some other games from ZineQuest in a couple of weeks' times in our next episode. Uh, yeah, so I, th- I think I think a lot of these a lot on. of these zine, yeah a lot of these zines are launching on um, February the seventh, which will yeah. be a day or two after uh, a day or two after recording, and then it'll mm-hmm. does it run right to the end of February? Is it of the full month? Of- I think so. Yes, yeah, so yeah. I think so. Yeah. So um, so yes, yeah, so we'll definitely have a chance to talk about it on the next show uh, as well. So that would be cool. Brilliant. Um, uh, so the other the other bit of news in the world of gaming appears to be that uh, uh, Wizards of the Coast have entirely <coughs> backed down from the kerfuffle that we reported on the last couple of weeks ago and indeed has been reported on everywhere. So I don't think we'll include a link to show notes. Just look at your social media and Twitter to see what's going yeah. on. Um, so they have not only said that they'll carry on with the original OGL, not only have they done that, but they've also put, frankly, more of D&D 5e into Creative Commons 
than I think they necessarily thought they were going to do, mm-hmm. um, it, which includes references to major characters and stuff, which you know you'd otherwise think were were absolutely totally well, Wizards pro, of the Coast IP proprietorial. Yeah. Um, so I don't know whether that was a mistake, a, a bit of a rush job, or what. Um, and yeah, I'm kind of intrigued about whether they can heal their relationship with the D and D community, or with, shall we say, that activist part of the D and D community. Yeah, and it's um, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, it's it's obviously caused such a huge storm over the last, well, publicly really over the last six weeks, but it's been brewing for a while. Um, mm-hmm. They have handled it as badly as they could have done. I'm not sure how we could find a way where they could have handled it much worse. Worse. No. Um, and, but, but still memories are short and people love 5e, don't they? So, yeah. um, you know, we, you may find that their strategy now is, well, you know, back up as fast as we can. They might have deliberately put out some of that previously proprietorial stuff just so people go, Oh, kind of, that's interesting rather than, oh, that's shit. Yeah. Uh, and then they're just going to batten down the hatches and shut the fuck up for a while in the hope that it all blows over and then they can recover some of the lost D&D beyond ground that they've obviously lost over the last six weeks. Um, it, it's, I guess, yes. I, mean, I, I haven't looked deeply into any of the statements or anything since since I heard that, that, that they basically backed down on the OGL. So I haven't read mm-hmm. them. But, I, I mean, I wonder what... Um, you know how D and D one and sixth edition or whatever you want to call it will will play when it when that comes to fruition. Yes, whether it's going to be <laughs> yeah just different enough that it doesn't fall under the OGL, or whether they'll be entirely open about it and make it very different, and so it's obviously not going to be coming under the OGL. Or, or what? Yeah, they had or said the, initially you know, when they first started talking about um. Uh, one D and D or sixth edition, as it's called, that it was going to be backwards compatible with fifth edition. Yeah. Um, and obviously, I think we talked about the announcements they but, made back then. But that was, was at the time when they were fancy... thinking. Yeah, they were, when they were thinking yeah. that the OGL would change, where they would have the different terms. So maybe that's changed yeah. as well. Yeah. So, so you know, now that yeah. yeah, now that five E is forever locked in Creative Commons. Whatever they did with the OGL, now it's in Creative Commons. They can't take yeah. that one back. Yeah. Um, and so, are they going to make one D and D actually more different? Um, and it's an you know it's an interesting uh, thing to conjecture upon, but it is all just conjecture. And as yes. you said, not only a memory short, but I think a huge chunk of the D and D playing population of the world probably haven't even noticed this. <laughs> no, you know, this has excised no. everybody on social media and on Twitter. But, you know, there's a whole bunch not, of young kids who not everybody is came on to play D&D every Saturday media. when I was working at the game shop. You know, have, do they care? I yeah, don't know. they're not, they're, they're not interested so. in the politics of it. They're not interested in creating the content themselves other than maybe the stuff they homebrew for their own games. And so actually mm-hmm. for them... Um, I guess, other than the system, uh, the, the you know the process changing and eventually having to pay more money, um, for them right now, it, it was it was kind of like yeah, whatever, you know, you argue amongst yourselves. One thing yourselves I did and... notice is um, uh, that the game shop where I used to work uh, have announced that they are 
looking into doing um, one evening a week, not Saturdays, Thursdays or Fridays or something, um, Pathfinder uh, nights. Right, okay. So that might be a little bit, you know, it might be evidence of what may turn, a, you know, what may just be a, a trick of the people away from D&D into Pathfinder. True. It may I... be a huge tidal wave at some point. I don't know. Well, I did see the thing on, on online that was saying that... Um... Paizo have sold eight months' worth of Pathfinder stuff in two weeks. And yeah. they've now completely sold out of all their stock. Um, now, that if that's true, and I guess there's no reason to, to think that it isn't, at least in, in, in essence, true. Wow. Thank you, mm-hmm. Wizards of the Coast, yeah. for that boost to our sales. I mean, that's... Uh, that's and that's Chaosium spe- have had a big boost to their sales as well. And they, yeah. too, have run out of um, a bunch of print products. Mm, yeah. Um, so, so there does so, seem to be, but again, so, you know, is that going to last? I don't know. Bear in mind, though, D and D or Wizards of the Coast have been here before. In that, yeah. when they introduced fourth edition D and D, they didn't use the OGL for that, and so for that reason. And also for another reason, which I'll come to, a whole bunch of people left D&D and went off to play first edition Pathfinder yeah. and didn't play fourth edition D&D. It wasn't just about that political decision around not using the OGL for fourth edition. Fourth edition was a very different game, more, if you like, World of Warcraft based. Mm. I think it had drawn quite a lot out of the tactics that people use in World of Warcraft, which you know about better than me. Uh, yeah, except yeah. I don't think it involved marrying Swedes, um, <laughs> and so uh, well, not not every not every not every WoW player married a Swede. <laughs> oh, is it? No, oh, fact, I thought that was the rule. Didn't I suspect? Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, anyway, yeah. So so they've been through this once before, and basically, fourth edition didn't work as a D&D thing, and, and they came back to the OGL with 5th edition. Yeah. So it feels to me that they've, you know, uh, that they're on very dangerous ground if they try and do the same thing with 6th edition. But we should Again, yeah, yeah. I mean, if, if nothing else, um, this does go perhaps a little way to what we've often talked about um, as, a, as a bad thing, and, you know, the dominance of 5e uh, over the industry. Um, if this has pushed a load of players elsewhere, pity if they all mm-hmm. went to Pathfinder, frankly. But um, uh, you know, if it gets other people, well, they haven't other all games, gone to Pathfinder. Obviously, at least some of well, them have gone to that, um, Chaosium, yeah, Cthulhu, yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, but so pushing people out to do other other play other games is is a good unintended consequence of what Wizards, Wizards of the Coast have been doing this last few months. So. Fine by me, yes. in that sense. Um, although I'm, you know, clearly the, the the stress and the worry it's brought to so many people um, who are kind of relying upon the OGL for their, uh, if not their livelihood, then for a, a big chunk of income. Um, yeah. Then you know that's that's obviously. Yeah, we we joke about it a little bit, but actually it's been a really horrible time for some people who've been thrown into a lot mm. of very very nasty uncertainty. And shouldn't yeah. forget that, you know, even if those people are now kind of like mopping their brow and going, phew, um, it's probably been a pretty horrible few weeks or months for them. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Oh, I guess, actually, we ought to mention, it isn't on our running order, but sort of tied in with that, we're going to UK Games Expo in um, we are. the first weekend in June. And I expect we will be selling, because we're going to be um, staffing the uh, Free League stand, which is on Free League Street once again, mm-hmm. or Free League Avenue, and um, Greater Than Game Street, I think, is uh, we're on the, the corner of those two. I feel very American when I say that. We're on Free League and Gridland Games. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and we will be selling, I expect, uh, the Lord of the Rings role-playing game, which may once have been the very last uh, 5e version that um, Free League were going to do of their games, yeah. had had the license um, gone. But um, now that the license is guaranteed to survive, at least for some time, I, I think... Uh, that should be at UK Games Expo. Um, yeah, yeah. And it'll be interesting. Yeah, um, yeah it'll be good. Um, and we hope to be running some demo games of some games as yet to be decided uh, while we're there. We, ha- we have ourselves a few months to, to get this organised. But yeah, we're beginning, yeah. beginning the planning process on what we want to do and how we're going to manage it all. Uh, but yeah, and always fact, great. And when we're done recording, we ought to have a word about that uh, email from John as well. Yeah. Your news. Um, yeah. So we've talked about it before, but as of last Tuesday at about four o'clock, uh, I was I had resigned from my day job as a civil servant where I've been for the best part of 30 years. Um, and I'm now a full time freelance game designer and writer with, I'm delighted to say, at the moment at least, more work than I can cope with. Which is fabulous. So um, uh, I've <laughs> I've been really delighted to 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 sort of build a relationship with Modifius um, and working with them on a couple of projects. Uh, I can't talk about one, but the other is Cohort Cthulhu, which is the Roman version of Achtan Cthulhu, extending the story back in time to the uh, mm-hmm. sort of the, not the late Empire, but the Middle Empire, the time of uh, Marcus Aurelius. So that's great. I mean, it fits in with me. I mean, I, you know, I have a long and enduring You're a Roman history, uh, interest in Roman history, exactly. And, you know, I've been able to bring that to bear, which is brilliant because it, it, it adds a bit of sort of authenticity, I hope. So that's great. I'm loving doing that. Um, it's a real pleasure working with the Modifius guys. It's, uh, they're a great bunch of people. And I, you know, I'm even beginning to, to, to really like the 2D20 system. So, oh. you know, I know, shocking. It's time for me to guffaw and, and gasp in surprise. Yeah. Uh, so that's cool. That's cool. Um, I've still got some work on with Firelock for the next uh, next stage in the Rendezvous with Destiny campaign. So I'm still working on that. And I'm still working on finishing off the Building Better Worlds with Free League. For, uh, for cool. the alien um, RPG. Where are we with um with the books on um the Firelock game? Uh, they they should be arriving in people's hands, kind of any time. Um, I, you know, I've heard nothing further from, from what we heard, kind of just after Christmas, and um, Gabriel put something up on um, on the socials a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so right. it about the so I think there was a there was a UK um, customer who was uh, concerned over how long it's taking and was concerned that mm-hmm. all the stock was going to the US before it was coming here to be distributed. 
He was reassured that that wasn't the case, that the stock, once it was printed, was coming straight to European warehouses to, to be distributed. Mm-hmm. I... I have no insight, I'm afraid, as to when it will actually arrive on people's doors. It should arrive at any time. Um, cool. But I just, yeah, I, I don't know precisely what's where in the system all the hard copy books are. But, um, you know, I'm as eager to get my hand on a on a, on a hard copy version as, as anybody. Um, I can't mm-hmm. wait to get my hands on it and look at it for real. So fingers crossed, it won't be much longer. I, you know, I look forward to the day in the not too distant future where I can report on the world of gaming that War Stories RPG is landing on people's doorsteps, and hopefully, it won't be too long before uh, before I can do that. Yeah. So fingers cool. crossed. But yes, so um, if if anybody out there is a is a uh, a games company or has got commissions that they um would like to consider. Uh, chucking my way you've got my email um dave at effectpodcast.co.uk.com i can't remember which one is it uh we are dot org the org that was it yeah dave at we may i can't remember whether we own dot com uh maybe we could own dot com for uh uh, yeah, and, you know, so, and turn it into your commercial address. I'll have a look. Possibly, um, um, but yeah. So, if you're interested, I am open to uh, to, to new commissions completely. Um, so, yeah, come on, on. Uh, hold on, uh, just just take a moment here. You just said you've got too much work on. I have, but I've got deadlines that are going to be gone in a couple of weeks. So, okay. Um, so, what you're saying is you'll be open to commissions in a couple of weeks. Yeah, I'm, but I'm open to talking about new commissions right now. So, right, okay. Uh, so, I just, I just worry that you know, somebody says I've got, I need a thousand words on this by Friday. You might not want to um, to agree to that one. No, I might not. But then that would be what the discussion would be about. But a thousand words <laughs> actually isn't very much. And um, if you if you get off on the right foot, a thousand words can be bashed out pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. So, as as is evidenced by the fifteen hundred words you wrote uh, in the defence of Coriolis. Well, that's what I call a good segue. <laughs> <laughs> Very nicely done, Matthew. You're you're really learning. Two hundred episodes, and we've had a good segue from you. Well done, pal. <clears throat> hey, man, I am the master of segues. <laughs> Don't do down my segues. Uh, so, that was a good one. Yeah. That was a good one. Which, which, frankly, we've totally spoiled by talking about how good a segue it was. So, apologies <laughs> for that. That's okay. Um, now, uh, yeah, it's it's two hundred episodes since we started this podcast, but you won't find two hundred episodes of effect. Peace in court, please. Quiet in court. <laughs> Sorry, I just wanted we to do that. We haven't started yet. <laughs> you can do that in a bit. Um, <laughs> Because I'm the judge, so, it's corrupt. When anyway, we go oh, on. you're the judge as well as the defence. Well, <laughs> and the jury, rigged. it is completely. Uh, Sorry, no, go I think on. our I listeners keep, are the jury. I keep disturbing your flow. Go on. <laughs> two hundred years. Uh, years. It feels since I started recording this very podcast with you, but uh, <laughs> two hundred episodes of the podcast. Um, but we started out as the Coriolis effect, and it was all about Coriolis, and so it we was. thought. We should hark back to that time and do an episode all about Coriolis, but also put it on trial because <laughs> we have found some issues. 
Well, I don't and think I guess... we should be. I don't think we should be prejudicing the the jury's judgment here, mate. I mean, pre-trial. Yeah, just, hold on, you're me- the judge. Pre- pre-trial <laughs> media basically saying there are issues is is we're gonna have to change the jury now. This jury has heard that and they are now prejudiced okay. against Coriolis. It's not a fair trial. So we've got to get rid well, of ten, our. Uh, uh, we've got to get rid of our listenership. Go on, off you go. Go on and bring in a whole new lot. Come on, in you come. Sit down. Good. Right. Okay. No, 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 now. no, 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 a force forever, and Coriolis down the drain. <laughs> and would you like to know the results? Yeah, go on then. Let's have it before we okay, uh, before we have the trial. Go on. Yeah, this so uh, this is the little thing about the pre-trial media. Eighty-five percent said it was a force forever, and fourteen percent said it was down the drain. Of what size sample? Well, now you ruin it when I say it's 27 votes. <laughs> Still, 27 people bothered to vote and 85% of those 27 people were right. Yeah. Obviously, However, I do I'm... want to read one, one, one chat back. Uh, so much I want to say, but I adore the background from the core rules, but would love a rules, ref- a rules refit that brought it more to life, less generic space opera, and a campaign that didn't ignore half the factions. Oh, you might see that come up. Uh, and built on the background <laughs> rather mm, rather than destroyed it. Hashtag not my Coriolis. Mm. Anyway, um, let's let's leave it there and <laughs> let's put our cases to the jury, and then and then I can tell you why I'm right at the end. I put it to you, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, that Coriolis has let you down. I am not seeking execution. If you, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, decide upon a guilty verdict, the prosecution seeks only a period of reform, a correctional facility, from where, in time, a third edition might emerge as an exemplar member of the tabletop role-playing community. To illustrate that point, let me take you back to when it started. It is a story many of you have heard before, but it is worth repeating. I was at my learned colleague Mr. Seamark's wedding, and once the ceremony was over while we ate Dave came over to sit with me, persuading me to kickstart Coriolis, just as I am sure he will shortly try to persuade you that even now you should not just play the game, but persuade others to buy it. Let us be clear. His argument was compelling. When the game arrived... As a PDF initially, I started to read it, and I hardly stopped. There are only 
two RPGs that I have read from beginning to end. The first need not concern us. Coriolis was the second. Every paragraph dripped with story and adventure. The underlying system seemed so consistent and flexible. The combat system offered simple, variable damage and special move solutions, both wrapped up elegantly in a single mechanic. I was hooked. It didn't take me long to phone up Dave and suggest that we create a podcast. And here we are, 200 episodes later, feeling let down by Coriolis. The case before you, ladies and gentlemen, is not that Coriolis was bad, but rather that it has not fulfilled its potential. It has not stood the test of time. Let us review the evidence together, starting at the very beginning. Through no fault of its own, Coriolis had the misfortune to be the very first adaptation of Mutant Year Zero. The first, in fact, to be built on what became known as the Year Zero engine. The designers did a pretty good job. They didn't simply use exactly the same mechanics to make Coriolis the same resource management game, but in space. They managed to make the system pulpier, as befits a space opera. Combat is not as deadly to PCs as it can be in Mutant Year Zero, and it offers an evocative system of stunts, manoeuvres that you spend extra successes on. However, the relatively high hit points of Coriolis characters and the stunt mechanic generate a habit in players exclusive to this iteration of the engine. Crit farming, where players push their role at low cost in the hope of earning more crits and a better chance of taking their enemy down in one blow. And why do they risk pushing their dice so carelessly? Here we come to the ugly truth, that Coriolis has the worst push mechanic of any Year Zero game. Oh yes, it seems reasonable, and it fits with the setting, and, far be it from me to do the learned gentleman's job for him, but in its defence, the push mechanic has encouraged scenes of worship better than any game in five decades of role-playing. This, however, cannot excuse the fundamental flaw in darkness points, that they are of very little consequence. Pushing the dice in every other game using the Year Zero engine has direct, measurable consequences on the character that took the risk. But is there any other game in the line where a player can push their role to achieve the success or critical injury that they wanted 
and a second player next to them finds that they have suddenly run out of ammunition because the GM has spent the darkness point that the first player paid for their success. Even without such blatant unfairness, which, I remind you, is sanctioned by the rules, the risk of each darkness point is spread among all the players, making the aforementioned crit farming a very attractive proposition. And need I remind you of the broken darkness point economy? When players fight to the last rather than retreat, because there is no limit to the darkness points that they can generate, and the fight goes ever on in a vicious circle because the GM can spend those darkness points on more reinforcements. The consequences of such a broken economy have been amply illustrated even by my friend, the learned counsel for the defence. I won't embarrass him, by asking the court stenographer to read it out, but it is a matter of record that even my learned friend has admitted that he does not rely on darkness points to make things happen in the game. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, if even my opponent ignores the rules, is there any value in the rules at all? And the ship rules! If ever there was an example of a promise made and not kept, it's the ship rules. The promise is that the ship becomes an extension of the group. Choosing a ship comes right after choosing your group concept. To many an older player, whose experience of ship creation in Traveller, for example, was an evening or two spent with a spreadsheet or at least a calculator and notebook, Coriolis promises a ship design process that everyone can participate in, rather than leaving it to your mate who does advanced mathematics. But the reality is disappointing. Choose your ship together, says the rulebook, but there are very few options to make the ship truly your own and for every player in the group to contribute something. I am sure that at most tables, the group leaves it to their one member who likes the maths still, even if they no longer need a spreadsheet. The ship rules in Coriolis are mundane and clunky, in comparison to the arc rules in Mutant Year Zero, the stronghold in Forbidden Land, or the castle in Versen. But Coriolis's sin is not only that it is the clunkiest adaptation of the Year Zero engine. Though it pains me, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, we must also consider the sins of the setting. This was a setting so full of promise when Coriolis arrived on the scene but like the charming young man arriving with Turkish delight at the rich widow's door, the setting does not keep its promises. First of all, you will, I am sure, have read the evidence presented by renowned amateur astrophysicist Mr Andrew Brick concerning 
the oft-mentioned AU that bear no relation to astronomical units, and the impossible physics of the star systems. I don't want to bore you with the arguments. I have been bored enough with them already. But the fact remains. This is a setting that promised us something close to real physics, with faster-than-light travel only available via mysterious portals. And then it let us down with the details. And that is not even the worst thing about it. The worst thing about the setting is that so much is wasted. Cast your mind back, ladies and gentlemen, to when you first read the core book. Every paragraph offered spice for your mind and inspired ideas and story hooks. There was so much here that could be built on. But instead, the third horizon turns out to have been built on sand. The promise of the setting has been thrown away. Valiant community creators have done their best to unearth long-lost details and stories and to shine a light onto the less explored parts of the setting. But why has it been left to the community to do that? Why have we not had, for example, faction guides and expanded system gazetteers? Why have we had only one frankly railroaded campaign? As this trial is not in camera, that is to say, held in secret, but in public, I will refrain from being explicit with the details of the campaign. But let us instead take a moment to mourn the destruction of not one, but two major locations. And, let's be frank, the sidelining of the most interesting factions. And worse than that, actually reducing the number of factions by the end. This crime alone makes the nuanced politics of the setting exponentially less nuanced and thus considerably more dull. Now, you might say I'm being unfair to criticise the adventures, the campaign. We are here to judge a game, not an adventure. In conclusion then, Look at the game that stands before you in the dock. Look at the whole game, at everything that comes with it, and note especially how the later works don't build on the foundation of the setting, but actually seek to undermine it. And tell me, in your heart of hearts, ladies and gentlemen, are you not disappointed? Coriolis came into your life with softly spoken words, cakes and sweet mint tea, whispering promises and failing to live up to them. It's happened before. In Sweden, Coriolis enraptured and then broke the hearts of a generation of gamers. Its own creators abandoned the monster they created and let a widowed community pick up the pieces. I rest 
my case. So there we have the case for the prosecution. Now let's listen to the case for the defence. Your Honour, ladies and gentlemen of the jury. You have heard from my colleague, the Honourable Counsel for the Prosecution. I won't burden you with a blow-by-blow rebuttal of his claims, for I know you have the insight and judgment to see through his thinly-veiled blandishments and penetrate to the baseless heart of his argument. Today I will simply lay out the beauty, the majesty, the enduring awesomeness that is the game Coriolis, the Third Horizon, and let that masterpiece speak for itself. By its own words, Coriolis sets out to create a world that evokes the feel of the Alien movies, the series Firefly, the books of Alastair Reynolds, amongst others, and the cultural and historical influences of the Arabian Nights. And it succeeded admirably in 2016, when it was first published. Of course, it's not perfect. Nothing ever is. But what minor imperfections you may be able to find are no reason to condemn it in this court. Has that original success endured? Has the game kept pace with the world as the world has changed? Is it as relevant now as it was seven years ago? I'll start with the setting. The Third Horizon. Compelling. Absorbing. A broad tapestry full of mystery. Ancient relics. The still existing technology of a lost civilization. The portal builders. The portals and the terrors of the dark between the stars. A rich cultural canvas that deftly and respectfully weaves many Middle Eastern and North African influences into a world that feels exotic and fantastic, but grounded and real at the same time. And that is a key point. The writers created a game, drawing on the cultural heritage of a different part of the world to their own, and did so in a way that not only opened the eyes of many to the wonders of these cultures, but was respectful, inclusive, honouring those traditions rather than taking advantage of them. That writing remains as relevant and accessible today as it was in 2016. The supernatural is real. Jinn, Ifrit, the mysterious mystics, and other mystical spirits and creatures all exist in this world, alongside the everyday humdrum of people living ordinary lives, albeit in an extraordinary setting. And the gods are real. The icons listen to your prayers and may, or may not, reward you for that devotion. But more on that anon. The setting itself covers 36 star systems, each with enough details to give the GM ideas and a place to start depending on which one they like the look of, and each with enough space between the lines for the GM to create their own reading of that place. There are 10 factions listed in the core book, detailed in their murky and mysterious complexity that allows the GM to make of them what they will. There is no cookie-cutter factionary, as every faction has factions within it. There is no black and white, and each can be built upon by the GM to take them in a new direction of their choice. Each can be played as intrinsically good, or bad, or both at the same time. 
The tension between the proud first-come cultures that celebrate mysticism and tradition and the more modern and pragmatic Zenithians drives the culture clash that makes the game so compelling. It's dark. It's as complex as the GM wants to make it. It's a superb smorgasbord of ideas and hooks that any GM should relish. Seven years on, and having played a lot of Coriolis, there are still many places and peoples I, as a player or GM, have yet to explore. That sounds like an enduring legacy to me. Some may say there's too much information, too much choice for the GM that actually hinders rather than helps them. If any GM feels that this might be the case, then they need only follow this simple rule. Pick one place or the one thing that excites you most about the Third Horizon. Make it your own and start your campaign around that. You'll soon find that this problem, as you saw it, is no longer a problem anymore. The centrepiece of the setting, Coriolis Station itself, is a thriving hive of scum and villainy, of hard-working people and a melting pot of religion and mysticism. It's detailed in the core book with dozens of locations for a GM to explore and expand into their own campaign. As you would expect, there is an introductory adventure as well that introduces you to the streets of Coriolis and the lives of its people. The station's history and future is thrillingly expanded upon in Free League's campaign, The Mercy of the Icons, and I won't spoil here the secrets that emerge during that epic adventure. I said I would return to the topic of religion, and now I shall. Religion is often mentioned in game systems, but frequently it's a cursory handwave, or just a narrative option if a player wants to lean into that aspect of their character. However, in Coriolis, the worship of the icons is seamlessly woven into the game in both narrative and mechanical terms. The icons are real, and keeping them in mind as a character and praying to them in times of dire trouble can bring real-world benefits to the supplicant. This is enshrined in the rules, not least in the push mechanic itself. You pray to the icons at a critical moment. They may, or may not, answer your prayer, but they do always exact a price. A little bit of karma is stored up that you will have to account for one day, maybe sooner, maybe later. The GM gains a darkness point. These rules drive a player's behaviour for, or sometimes against, the icons and what they represent. The rules illuminate religion in the game without being preachy about it, without making any value statements about real-world issues. The rules make this religion fun and impactful. And this mechanic has not got old. Yes, there are those who criticise darkness points, but the rules make it incumbent on the players to manage it. They gain darkness points when they pray and push their roles. A canny player will keep a lid on this growing pool of dark between the stars. But one who is careless of the icons and makes repeated claims on their time and largesse will have to suffer the consequences later. Whatever its detractors may say, this mechanic fits the theme of the game so well and has stood the test of time. In other more traditional aspects of the RPG genre, Coriolis was, and still is, an excellent example. Character generation is quick and easy, with enough variation to build the character of your choice. This tried and true method works throughout Free League's games. 
the collective creation of your ship, while by no means a unique idea, is very well executed and an enormously fun part of the game. Starting the game with a debt to your patron grounds the PC group with the same problem. Managing that debt readily drives player behaviour, especially for those PCs who actually own the debt and need to make enough money every month to service the debt, service the ship, pay their crew and, uh, oh yeah, service their powerful need to eat. Ship combat is well designed, giving each crew member a specific combat role during a space battle and engaging all the players in a scene that so many older RPGs fail to achieve. This again is not unique to Coriolis by any means, but definitely still stands the test of time against anything else that's emerged in recent years. The last point I will make, members of the jury, before I wrap up, is this. The Coriolis community. Putting to one side the officially published material, the Mercy of the Icons campaign, Hammurabi, the Mahanji Oasis, Aram's Ravine, Aram's Secret, the Dying Ship, the Last Voyage of the Ghazali, the Atlas Compendium, the Scenario Compendium, there is a wealth of community content available through the Free League Workshop on Drive-Thru RPG. Of course, this is not unique to Coriolis, but it demonstrates the enduring appeal of this universe and this game, and offers GMs and players, both old hands of the Third Horizon or new to Coriolis, a treasure trove of adventures and reference material at their fingertips. So to conclude, Coriolis The Third Horizon is as relevant and current now as it was when it was written. A timeless setting of the supernatural, the dark between the stars, the gods, the cultures that survive within those and the people who are forged by those cultures. It is replete with story hooks and ideas, while leaving great open spaces for the GM and players to explore in their own way. It has rules that weave narrative with mechanic and drive player behaviour. It is as effective now in all these areas as it was in 2016 and has only improved with age. Thank you for listening. I know you will return the right verdict. As my final salutation, all I will say is I hope you soon choose to join the icons in a journey through the third horizon and that the icons bless your adventures. The defence rests. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, let us know what you think. You've heard both sides of the uh, of the debate. It's uh, interesting that you know we are uh, you know, talking about similar aspects of the game in many cases. Um, but yeah, let us know what you think. Have have either of us made the case? Uh, have we changed your mind? Um, I think, you know, it, it's quite interesting for me writing this because I agree with probably most of the stuff you said in the prosecution. <laughs> um, I think there are, there are definitely well, things. Well, yeah, I mean. But I also agree with everything. But I, but I agree with everything I put in the defence. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not sure, I'm not sure that darkness points are the worst iteration of uh, of the push mechanic, uh, I think it can work really well. It just it's just slight. It, it's got a bigger overhead to to manage. Okay, well name me one ones. push mechanic that's worse. Well, I'm not saying that they're worse. I'm not saying that they're necessarily better either, though. So <laughs> because I think it's it does 
you know, the push mechanic evokes the setting so perfectly. It it, it draws out the religiosity of the uh, of the Third Horizon. Oh, uh, well, yeah, and and I've and, and got to admit that. And it brings out, um, yeah, there's a definite risk reward for doing it. You know, you talk to the icons, you know, they're going to exact a price, but they might not give you a reward by for that price. So it, it works beautifully in that sense. It is harder to run and make it work really well for a GM because most of the other push mechanics are exactly that. They are mechanical. You know, they don't, they, something happens based on what the dice say. Whereas in this one, yeah. the GM has to interpret, you know, the impact of the darkness points and apply it. And that's where the, that's where it becomes harder. Um, but I, I don't think it's worse. It's just different. Um, and some people will like it and some people won't. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, so, you know, I don't think it is the worst uh, iteration of the push mechanic. I'm also not sure. I um, think you're wrong. <laughs> and, well, yeah, and it'll be interesting to hear what others others think. The other thing... Yeah, we you know, should kind of, ask for feedback from this, yeah, shouldn't we? absolutely, we should yeah. get people in. Maybe even run that poll, that Twitter poll again or something and um, say, having listened, what do you think? Yeah, that's Send a good idea. Send us your idea. feedback. I like that. yeah. I think you should do the Twitter poll again. We put the Twitter poll cool. at the end of the, um, uh, you know, on on the link for the for the show, and say, listen to this, yeah, and, and let maybe us know do it what on Facebook think. as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Cool. Um, so, I, cause I if you don't so use either Twitter or Facebook, just write to us at feedback at effectpodcast.org. org. Yeah. Effect, of course, with a K, and and tell us. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there are, you know, one of the things I mentioned about the community. Um, content and how great that is and mm -hmm. it is um, one of the things that came out maybe a year ago now was a uh, uh, someone's um, refresh or new take on the combat and we looked at that in some mm -hmm. detail I think we talked about it on the show and I, I didn't think it added anything I, I think the combat system in Coriolis is actually pretty good it does have some weaknesses uh, you know auto fire is possibly something that could be done differently Yes. But otherwise, I think, you know, yes, you crit farm, but you want to put somebody down quickly. I mean, it's, it's actually interesting. On the recent um, Tales of the Old West playtests we've been doing, where mm -hmm. our our crit mechanic is the same as Coriolis in that your weapon has a crit value and you can use successes uh, over that to, to cause crits. Um, I'm going to propose a, a slight change to how we manage that to make sure you only make one roll on the crit table. But actually, those, yeah, extra funny successes, enough, those extra successes can give you bonuses on your tens die or your units die to make the crit more dangerous. But the, we, we were finding some people were getting um, three or four successes, so they're able to get, say, three crits. And it kind of yeah. kind of lose the immersion when you roll three times and go, mm, okay, I'll have the shot in his Which arm, am I choosing? please. Yeah. And particularly you know. if they're they're all quite naff crits, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what you yeah. you were hoping for is a headshot, aren't you? And then you get oh, chipped elbow, stubbed toe, and you're going, yeah. Which am I going to choose out of that? Doesn't really um, make much difference. Yeah, funny enough, choose, I was yeah. listening to our uh, latest, the, what we're putting on the AP right now, yep. and that sort of discussion happened there. And I yeah. was going to when we next got together, I'd say we've got to get rid of multiple crits on on a yeah. shot. And I was very pleased to find that your playtest had come up with the same conclusion as well. Playtesting <laughs> yeah. works. It does, doesn't it? It does. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, the other thing on that I do agree with is um, 
you know, you talk about the most of the icons campaign. We talk about it being pretty railroady, which which it is, um, which is mm-hmm. a, a, which is a disappointment. I think it could possibly have been, you know, for the effort they put into it and the amount of content that's in it, you could have you could have made it less railroady. And I think there are there is a thing. In- I mean, I was kind of restricted on words um, because I wanted to have about the same number of words that you did. Yeah, but there's a thing that I wanted to say. Which requires more words than I that I would have had. Yeah. Um, which is that one of the strengths of free league games is their procedural sandboxy nature. Yeah. Now that's not entirely true because Alien isn't very sandboxy, really. Well, hopefully we're going to try and rectify that a bit in the next source book. Yeah, but I think you know. Free League at their best are kind of procedural. They, you know, they're not railroady, and no. I think um, most of the icons stands out as feeling very railroady compared to everything else that Free League has put out. So I, I don't know what um, the the Throne of Thorns campaign is like. Um, I know that uh, like friend of the show Neil and others love it and have been loving playing through it, but I, don't, I haven't got a sense from them how. Whether it is a bit railroady in the similar way as most of the icons, or whether it's done in a, in a mm. way that allows the GM to take it in different directions, It'd be interesting to get a, a view. Actually, I might I might put up a thing asking Neil's opinion. Yeah, that's yeah, a good point. Actually, yeah. Um, I mean, because we we didn't play anything, did we? Out of the um, no. Out of the books when you were running Simba Room. I mean, no, I, it was all stuff that I and stuff, but. Yeah, so I made, yeah, the campaign we did was all stuff that I created myself, yeah. Yeah, so I think, you know, I think, you know, that's a great strength of Free League that they're able produce, to produce stuff like that, that, that importantly still creates an exciting story. I mean, I have rolled the dice. I have not planned a single, well, I occasionally maybe have said, oh, we'll do that adventure next. Yeah. But but the story that we're developing in Forbidden Lands is entirely procedural and yet somehow satisfying. Yeah, it is. And it's, I think it's, that's it's great. Superb. Yeah, yeah. I and mean, the other thing, um, yeah, kind of the final thing I'd sort of mention about Coriolis, which I, which I again, I I think I agree with you in your piece. But as it happens, having played it, it didn't pan out to be such a big problem. Was um, something that I was quite disappointed about when I first got my hands on Coriolis, which was the way that they managed the ship, and the ship mm. as part of your your kind of your character setup. Because coming from Mutant Year Zero with the Ark, which is superb, um, mm. and and thinking, okay, they're going to bring not necessarily that mechanic, but that kind of philosophy and that sense something to, like that, yeah, to Coriolis. Oh, that was really exciting, and it was a bit disappointing to just to realise that it actually it's just your ship, and you you roll it up together, and you know, or, you know, and and there you go. Now in playing, it's actually turned out that that's fine, and I've really enjoyed it, and I love creating the ship during um, session zeros and and taking it forward. But I had kind of forgotten My- that, that little frisson of disappointment when I first got the book and looked through it to see what their their kind of their their, their ship, your home kind of rules were were, were gonna be like. Though I definitely had I'd forgotten that little frisson of disappointment that I had when I looked at it and it wasn't kind of what I was looking for. And my counterpoint is uh, yeah, you've enjoyed creating those ships because we've let you do it. I don't think, you know, it hasn't really been a whole group affair. 
and there's been no incentive. I'm not saying, oh, you spoil well, sport, you've taken the shipbuilding fund away from me. Yeah, I'm that's saying, the third point, yeah. You know, there's no incentive for me to get involved, particularly. Yeah. It's a thing you like, I'll let you do it. You know, um, I mean, even in the game I was GMing, I said, design the ship for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and uh, I did that, and, and say the other players, Tony uh, and that, weren't didn't seem so bothered. Um, and yeah. I guess the, the 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 thing I'd say is that when I when I did the Spectral Corsa campaign, and the guys created ship as part of um, collectively around the table as part of the session zero, that was great, and everyone got stuck in and really enjoyed it. Maybe there was a different a difference between doing that with me and Tony over Zoom than doing it with me, Tony, Connor, Morgan, Dean, and whoever else, Pete around a table hmm. so i think there's definitely a but we did it, it around the table better. first of all as well didn't we um i guess we did for um for yafet for that campaign for the otho campaign hmm. yeah that's true um and i just i don't know i think there's an opportunity there for some enterprising community content creator to do something that is possibly kind of more abstract i don't i i don't think i've got the nouse to put this together but in my head there's a kind of thing and I know what I'd do it around. I'd do it around nomad ships because they're meant to be old and piecemeal. Um, and I'd be, you know, almost saying that each player chooses a module and brings it to the party and mm. we stick them all together to create a unique mm-hmm. ship, something like that, um, which I think is what they were kind of getting at, but they didn't quite manage in the um, in the original rules. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. Uh, but maybe it could work as a supplement and as I say if it was nomad based then uh, there's a reason for it being a hodgepodge and you know potentially at the end of it looking damn ugly when it's done but still yeah yeah um, ugly uh, but functional there's a thing because I think about Firefly for example and I kind of think that when they were designing the interiors for Firefly they were reflecting in each interior some of the crew so there were things like, for example, in the kitchen, there were um, flowers painted up the pillars. And you could imagine Kaylee had done that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, the, even if it's a thing where you, you, you like, a, like a more narrative game where you simply say, OK, uh, Bob, you describe the Arboretum. And then yeah. that, that becomes the shared vision of the Arboretum. It yeah. can be as simple as that, but it doesn't actually happen in the rules. No. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Cool. Right. So you agree with me then? Case over. <laughs> well, as I said, I know. I know. I think. I think uh, Coriolis has endured. I think it's you know the the core elements of it are so strong that uh, you know, like I said in in the defence, I know um, nothing is perfect, but then. Just by having something that's not quite perfect doesn't mean it should be convicted, uh, uh, regardless. Remember, I've so. only I'm only proposing a third edition that we should write. Uh, I'm only proposing that <laughs> Freely commission us to write the third edition. That's exactly. I think on that's... that, both prosecution and defence can agree. <laughs> yes, exactly. Cool. <laughs> Right, good stuff. I right. think we've. Does that bring the end to enough. our discussion? It does. Yeah. It I thought. Does. Um, by the way, next week we could maybe have a dip into some more of that community content and do one of our special review episodes of. Uh, yeah. Of some of that. 
That's a good idea. Uh, Sounds like a great idea. So if you want to have a look and see what's there, um, I've got a bit of a free league budget from the people who follow our associate links to the to nice. drive through RPG. So tell me what you want, and I'll buy some of those things. And well, have a look yourself too, as well. One. So um, we'll both have a look. Cool. No, that's what I say. You have a look, but I, I've got the money. Is what I'm saying. I, I have <laughs> the uh, the value. So yeah. uh, tell me what you want, and I'll buy it. Um, right. Yeah. Okay. Cool. 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 Excellent. Okay. Well. So. On to episode two hundred and one next week, and Indeed. it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from him. And may the icons continue to bless your adventures. You have been listening to The Effect Podcast, presented by Fiction Suit and the RPG Gods. Music stars on a black sea, used with permission of Free League Publishing.